Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are Jim Fryer, our managing editor, John Salentano, our business editor, and Jay Sharp Smith, our technology editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. The second quarter report is available now. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com intelligence. And Sharp, you have our first story this week about a 5G network for drones. Yes, Leslie, uh, 5G is coming to uh, New York State. There's a 50-mile unmanned aircraft systems corridor that runs between Syracuse and uh, Rome, New York, and designated by the FAA to, uh, to test drones. And this will be the first time that a 5G network has been incorporated into that testing. And this is the site where, where uh, New York State has really invested a lot of money, $30 million in 2016, and then uh, later another $70 million to uh, basically make, make sure that, that drones are able to operate in the uh, airspace uh, safely with, with, uh, with other aircraft. And what, uh, what this really means for our industry is that it's, it's an acknowledgement that drones are going to be depending on 5G networks. And because they depend on 5G, they're, they're going to be able to, uh, to cohabitate uh, in the same uh, airspace as, uh, as, as the, uh, the, the big boys. So uh, what does that mean? Um, well, the, they say the, that, that these drones in the future are going to be able to, prov- to provide airborne taxis and things like that. And, uh, uh, and that's really, if you're, if you're talking about uh, one of those killer applications for 5G for the future, uh, getting into a, an autonomous uh, uh, helicopter and uh, uh, taking a, a ride to, uh, to work, is um, that's certainly a glimpse of the future that we have not seen so far. So it's, um, it can be pretty, uh, pretty exciting stuff. Well, thank you. Um, and John, you're gonna talk about a, a deal, a tower deal in Australia? Uh, yeah, operators, operating uh, uh, telecom companies around the world continue to sell off towers. Uh, uh, this week, we reported that Singtel Optus, the big Australian telecom company, has announced that Optus's parent company, Singtel of Singapore, has entered in an, into an agreement to sell a 70% stake in Australia Tower Network to infrastructure operator Australian Super. ATN, 
a wholly owned subsidiary which operates Optus's passive telecommunications tower infrastructure um, uh, will be the big beneficiary here. The transaction involving Australia's largest independent tower company and comprising 2,312 mobile network towers and rooftop sites values ATN at approximately 1.7 billion. This amount represents a fiscal year 21 pro forma uh, uh, enterprise value to EBITDA transaction multiple of 38 times or 28 times following the completion of the build to suit program reflecting the high quality of the assets and tenancy agreements. Under the terms of the deal, Optus will have continued access to the sites through a long-term agreement, a long-term lease agreement, excuse me, with ATN. Moreover, Optus will be the anchor tenant for 565 new uh, build-to-suit sites that will be built over the next three years, forming an integral part of Optus's 5G network. So interesting developments around the world, Leslie. Thank you, John. The uh, infrastructure bill is hanging in the balance again. This is the bill that has $65 billion in infrastructure deployment grants. The, uh, the, the Democratic Party hopes to pass that bill and the spending package before October 31, that's because some major transportation funding programs expire by that time. The Democrats will have to satisfy progressives who thought the original $3.5 trillion price in the spending package was too small, and at least one centrist who wants to spend no more than $1.5 trillion. They're going to have to get it in gear soon in order for lawmakers to have time to write the bills, pass them in time. The FCC kicked off another mid-band spectrum auction this week. Uh, this is auction 110, offering more than 4,000 new flexible use licenses in the 3.45 to 3.55 gigahertz band. Um, this would be to support next generation wireless services, including 5G. 33 qualified entities are bidding, including AT&T, T-Mobile, U.S. Cellular and Verizon. The FCC set a reserve price of $14.77 billion. Uh, that's because the auction proceeds must cover 110% of the expected sharing and repack costs for federal users that are currently operating in the band. That's based on an estimate from NTIA. And this auction got off to a slower start than uh, the preceding C-band auction. So we'll have to see how much juice this auction gets. And that brings us to our first story of ConnectX coverage, Sharp. Yes, thank you, Leslie. Um, I covered uh, Dave Mayo's speech at, uh, at ConnectX. And uh, um, it was interesting because he talked a lot about needing to to uh, to get people to basically believe in uh, that Dish uh, Wireless was going to be able to uh, build its network uh, and uh, make the deadlines uh, that the FCC had uh, has created for their uh, their 5G uh, nationwide network and uh, uh, and. Not long after that, uh, I covered the uh, the view from the top, and uh, 
they said a lot of great things and a lot of interesting things, more than I could ha would have time to talk about. But one of the things that they really uh, got excited about was they got excited about Dish Wireless. And uh, uh, Jeff Stoops said they've come out of the gates very quickly. They've organized a team. It's under it's over a thousand uh, people. They're busy. They're prepared. They're organized. They are real, and the network is happening. And Dave has put together a very good machine there, and it's working. And uh, and it just seemed to me like uh, it was really the the perfect session for uh, for Mayo because it uh, it shows that he has uh, uh, created a. a a lot of confidence in people at the top uh, top rung of the industry, and so uh, so yeah, it's uh, Dish does have still have a lot uh, on its plate and a long way to go before uh, it's going to uh, to be able to uh, declare victory. It's got deadlines on the in the in 2022 coming up uh, really you know pretty quickly, or they've got to have 20 percent. Uh, covered and 70% uh, of the population one year later. So that's 20% up to 70% uh, in one year. And, uh, and then they have to have 75% of uh, each uh, economic area by June of 2025. So, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. The, uh, the panel had a lot of, uh, had positive things to say about the the 5G rollout, um, which uh, they did mention is going to take, I think they said about 10 years. And, uh, and I, uh, I think that, you know, as far as like uh, who's taking the most time from them, I think actually uh, it's, it's, uh, it's DISH is taking up the most time because they're the ones who are under the gun to make deadlines. And, uh, and the carriers as far as their 5G rollout is concerned, you know, it's it's a priority, but uh, there's no gun to their head. And uh, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, they're still spending so much money on Spectrum. Uh, I can't imagine that uh, if, if they weren't spending all that money on Spectrum, that they might be putting more money into building out their 5G network. Uh, but uh, but they are moving forward, and the uh, view from the top confirmed that. So so yeah, high marks for Dave Mayo, and uh, and everyone seems to be uh, uh, to be on board. And I didn't hear a lot of doubters. So back to Congress, uh, better broadband maps and more cooperation between government agencies to streamline deployment are two must-haves for industry and consumers. That's what witnesses told lawmakers Wednesday during a subcommittee hearing, the Communications and Technology Subcommittee hearing of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Uh, one of the bills they talked about was the Spectrum Innovation Act. It uh, requires making at least 200 megahertz of new mid-band spectrum available for auction in the lower three gigahertz band, as well as requiring the opportunistic use of those licenses. The Competitive Carriers Association supports that. Um, their lobbyist, Tim Donovan, said um, uh, he referenced the 3.45, 3.55 gigahertz band uh, auction going on. 
And he said CCA supports considering adjacent spectrum in the 3.1 to 3.45 gigahertz band for potential reallocation for commercial wireless use. Um, he said, there's no replacement for the reallocation of additional spectrum bands for exclusive use by commercial licensees. Um, they, he and other witnesses also supported more coordination between government agencies as far as citing and permitting decisions. You know, he referenced the spats between the FCC and NTIA last year, and he said that needs improvement. Um, and he said the situation has led to disputes where individual executive branch agencies, including NOAA and DOT and Department of Defense, have presented potential interference outside of the NTIA process and contrary to science-based studies. He said that distracts from important policy goals. The FCC is ready to authorize a total of nearly $164 million to 42 providers in the second round of funding for new broadband deployments through the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund. The commission also continues its work to refocus the program to ensure that funding goes to unserved areas. And then, John, you have another story for us on um, China Mobile Deal. Uh, yes, Leslie, interesting developments coming out of China. Uh, foreign telecom original equipment manufacturers, mainly Sweden's Ericsson and Finland's Nokia, have been shut out of a major wireless network deployment undertaken by China Mobile. The South China Morning Post reports that the Chinese telecom giants Huawei and ZTE have secured the rights to build the converged 5G and 4G core network for China Mobile, the world's largest carrier with nearly 1 billion subscribers. On the surface, the deal underscores the Chinese mobile network operator's commitment to domestic infrastructure suppliers that are facing challenges in overseas markets. The two Shenzhen China-based OEMs will get about 50% of a contract to provide equipment and services worth a total of 2.3 billion in 31 provinces around the country, according to the bids results released by China Mobile in late September. The deal is yet another vote of confidence for Huawei, which continues to be favored by state-backed MNOs, despite remaining under U.S. sanctions that have curtailed Huawei's access to advanced semiconductor chips. The Nordic hardware makers face, have faced increasing difficulties growing their business in China, as international tensions have locked Huawei out of overseas contracts on national security grounds. Ericsson had protested Sweden's decision to keep Huawei from contributing to the country's 5G network, but the Swedish courts upheld the ban. So, you know, for every action, there's a reaction, Leslie, and uh, we're seeing that now uh, among the Chinese uh, mobile operators. Thank you, John. And that brings us to you, Jim. I think you're doing a wrap up of the WIA show. Yes, Leslie, uh, we had spent a good part of the week, most of the week in Orlando at the ConnectX 2021 show and um I, I think first off the, the overview was it was successful very well done uh and you, we've got to take our hats off to jonathan adelstein and and his team at wia for, for for pushing forward with it for going ahead you know there may have been a few you know signals that they thought you know maybe it, you know going forward might not be the best thing but um you know, we saw like a, a large show like NAB close about a month prior to this. 
out in Las Vegas. Um, but again, kudos to, to them for, for pushing ahead with it and basically sort of pushing us back into the, the post-pandemic age, even though we all know it's not quite there yet, not where we want it to be, certainly. But getting us back out there and doing business the way we used to uh, and the, the way we like to. Uh, so it was, it was a great event uh, all in all. You can tell people were really happy to get back to some face-to-face -face time and actually doing live deals. And uh, I think Jonathan really uh, uh, highlighted that perfectly in his opening remarks where he first came on, they introduced him. Then there was like dead silence for about five seconds where people were going, where's Jonathan? His face then comes on the monitors in the big ballroom with whatever everybody assembled in there. And he says, hello, welcome to our virtual conference. Uh, we're glad to have you here. Sorry, we can't get together. And then he catches himself says, wait, we're, we're live. And as he gets up from his chair, you could, you get a flash of he's wearing shorts, <laughs> which, you know, we're all, we're all doing during the uh, zoom calls. So it's a red, white, and blue shorts. He swears they were not boxer shorts. They were swim trunks comes running out onto the stage live in those same shorts and uh, to the, to the appreciation of everybody who, who I, I think, you know, we all appreciate him sort of addressing the elephant in the room that, um, that we've been through a lot over the last 18 months. And we're, we're, we're glad to celebrate basically get back together again. Uh, so, uh, you know, kudos for all of that and, and for putting together a, a full program. Uh, there was no shortage of, certainly of sessions or keynotes or uh, big names, uh, people to cover as, as uh, Sharp Smith knows, he was, he was there with me and uh, did a great job of, of covering all of that, covering all of the, of the keynotes that, that were going on. So, um, you know, all in all, a, a great week. And I think that bodes well for future events uh, that, that are done. I know Nate has one coming up in February and um, other, other events coming up shows that we can do this. We can do it safely. Uh, take the proper precautions. You, you know, you mask up when you have to. Although people were not very little masking within the within the hotel, within the the bubble, so to speak. But everybody had to present uh, proof of vaccination coming in. I forget what the protocol was if you were not vaccinated. But uh, by and large, there were there were no incidents of. of any pushback on that. So it all seemed to work. A lot of hand sanitizers all over the place and a lot of fist bumping. And, and uh, you know, people were adjusting to, uh, to, to the new reality. And hopefully that, hopefully that won't be the new reality next year. But I, I know that, notice that uh, WIA is going to move the conference to, to Denver. So um, that will be a nice, new, interesting venue. And, and probably, hopefully in a year, there probably will still be some some rules and regulations, but but let's hope they're uh, they're down from this year. But but uh, again, thanks to WA Jonathan Adelstein for for getting us all out there and, and getting us back into gear. And I noticed they've announced the show in Denver is in May, so they're getting close back closer to their original schedule, their show schedule. So that's good to see. Well, that's a wrap. And thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. 
Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.